If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight I'll talk to Michael Yuri about his film WTC View. Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman reports from Selma with the first same sex couple to marry in Alabama. And we have coverage of the 2015 Sydney Gay Mardi Gras. And I chat with some famous folks at the Family Equality Council Awards Dinner here in Los Angeles. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Natalie Peoples. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending March 14, 2015. Peru's Congress won't be considering a bill to create civil unions for same-gender couples, again. The latest proposal in the South American nation failed to advance in a legal committee for the second time in five years. After a three-hour debate on March 10th, seven members of the Justice and Human Rights Committee voted against the bill, four voted in favor, and two abstained. The legislation, proposed by outlawmaker Carlos Bruce, faced stiff opposition in a socially conservative country where the Roman Catholic Church still plays a strong role in public and private life. Monsignor Luis Bambaren told Peruvian media that he strongly opposes the legislation, referring to Bruce as a maricón, Spanish for faggot. He himself has said he is gay, he explained. Gay is not the Peruvian word. The word is faggot. Bruce told reporters that the bishop's comments reflect the hate that is typical of homophobia. Congressman Julio Rosas of a right-wing opposition party praised the vote, saying that we have defended the natural family as enshrined and recognized in our Peruvian constitution. Proponents of the legislation say it's just a matter of time before Peru legally recognizes same-gender couples. Lawmakers who voted in favor of the civil unions bill this week said they would resubmit another in the next congressional session. We are on the right side of history, Bruce said, and we are sure that this is going to be approved. Elsewhere in South America, marriage equality is already the law of the land in Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay. But after a year of publicly opposing them, Alberta's progressive conservative government enacted legislation this week to make gay-straight alliances, campus support groups for LGBT students and their allies, mandatory if students request them in all publicly funded schools in the Canadian province. The Tories had previously introduced a controversial bill that would have allowed school boards to reject applications to form such groups. 
Education Minister Gordon Dirks said he changed his mind on the issue after talking to LGBTI students who had contemplated or actually attempted suicide. When you have those kinds of intimate, frank conversations with students, he said, it goes from your head to your heart. Alberta Premier Jim Prentice called it a case of a government responding to what they are hearing from the citizens of the province, including young people who, he said, have had a significant say in this, who have moved me and who have moved the minister. The new law will take effect on June 1st. As Jay Michelson wrote this week at the Daily Beast, mainstream activists are crowing about the Utah Compromise, a law signed by Governor Gary Herbert on March 12th that gives employment and housing non-discrimination protections to LGBT people but exempts religious organizations from having to comply. It was supported by some LGBT activists and, for the first time, the Mormon Church. Human Rights Campaign Legal Director Sarah Warbelow called it a landmark law. It was also supported by the National Center for Lesbian Rights and Lambda Legal. But the law exempts anyone who works for a religious organization, such as the cafeteria worker at Brigham Young University or the custodian at St. Mary's Hospital. These are not hypothetical cases, Michelson notes. They are instead wending their way through the courts right now. The Mormon Church has vast holdings in real estate, media, and agribusiness, employing hundreds of thousands of people. Anyone who works for those companies or the church itself, or any other religious organization, can still be fired for being LGBT under the new law. But there's no denying a marked change in the Mormon church's relationship with the LGBT community. It's gone from being a major funder of California's marriage equality banning Proposition 8 to general support for LGBT rights. Considering the state's unique nature, Michelson concludes, the law may work in Utah, but anywhere else it would be a huge step backwards for civil rights. The legislature also passed a separate bill that allows employees in county clerk's offices to refuse to perform civil marriages for same-gender couples and forbids government agencies from penalizing any business that refuses to provide public accommodations for them. The Swiss Parliament has approved, by a vote of 103 to 73, with nine abstentions, legislation to protect LGBTI people from hate speech and discrimination. The March 12th vote, according to Gay Star News, added sexual orientation or gender identity to an existing anti-bias law that protects people of different races or faiths. Equality activist Barbara Lantheman said that lesbians and gays feel strengthened if they are supported by their state and when the parliament recognizes them as having the same rights as all citizens. While same-gender couples have had limited rights in Switzerland since 2007, a marriage equality bill is also advancing in parliament. In other news, the Strasbourg, France-based European Court of Human Rights ruled this week that the Turkish government cannot make sterilization a requirement for gender reassignment surgery. An unidentified Turkish trans man brought the Eurocourt case in 2005 after being denied surgery because he refused the required sterilization. A Turkish court did eventually permit the surgery in 2013, but Europe's top human rights court still heard the original case. It awarded him 7,500 euros in damages, taking into account the years he was unable to access gender reassignment. The court wrote that gender identity is an essential part of the right to self-determination. According to the group Transgender Europe, Denmark, the Netherlands, Iceland, Portugal, and Sweden 
have each liberated their laws in the past few years. But 20 out of the 47 nations that have signed the European Human Rights Charter, including France and Italy, still require people who want to change their legal gender to be sterilized. And while the Eurocourt ruling is at least symbolically significant, countries are not bound by it. Let me put this very clearly, said British Prime Minister David Cameron last year. We do not require instruction on this from judges in Strasbourg. The Eurocourt didn't address other barriers to gender reassignment, such as having to have psychiatric professionals sign off on the request, or other self-realization barriers that critics say pathologize and dehumanize transgender people. The U.S. Army announced on March 13th that it was elevating authority to discharge transgender service members to the Assistant Secretary for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. According to USA Today, in essence, the announcement places a moratorium on dismissals by requiring officers to explain their decision to discharge a transgender soldier to a high-ranking civilian leader, a move many would view as potentially damaging to their careers. Equality activists are waiting for the other U.S. service branches to follow suit. Soon after replacing Chuck Hagel, new Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter was asked about transgender service. We want to make our conditions and experience of service as attractive as possible to our best people in our country, he said. I'm very open-minded about what their personal lives and proclivities are, provided they can do what we need them to do for us. That's the important criteria. Are they going to be excellent service members? And I don't think anything but their suitability for service should preclude them. Former Army Captain Allison Robinson of the LGBT military advocacy group Sparta said that Carter needs to turn those words into action and order a top-down review to get to a policy that works for our military. And finally, New York-based upscale retailer Saks Fifth Avenue has thrown in the towel by settling a discrimination lawsuit filed by former saleswoman Laith Jamal. She charged that she had been subjected to harassment and retaliation because of her transgender identity. Jamal's lawsuit claimed that her co-workers at the Saks store in Houston repeatedly referred to her as a man and forced her to use the men's bathroom. A manager suggested that she make her appearance more masculine and separate her home life from work life. Saks fired Jamal in 2012 after she filed a discrimination complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Lawyers for Saks' parent company, Hudson's Bay, had insisted for the past few months that the retailer was entitled to fire Jamal because federal law does not ban discrimination based on gender identity. They confidently promised to prove their case in court. Someone must have finally told the company's management that U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder announced in late December that the Justice Department would henceforth consider bias against transgender people to be violations of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which outlaws discrimination based on sex. Jamal's lawyers filed a stipulation of dismissal of the case with prejudice last week. When asked about the terms of the settlement, one of her lawyers told Fortune magazine that the parties had amicably settled the lawsuit and would have no further comment. That's News Wrap for the week ending March 14, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world 
An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Natalie Peoples. And I'm Wenzel Jones. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more News Wrap, on Stitcher Radio On Demand, on iTunes, or at thiswayout.org. Now, one of my favorite LGBT films... WTC View has never been available via video on demand. Well, Steve, that has changed. iTunes has finally added this moving story about an average gay New Yorker in the aftermath of 9-11. Hey, it's me. Leave a message. Hello. I'm ringing about the advert in this week's Village Voice. I know it's a dreadful time, but if you could give me a ring, I'd be quite grateful. I'm at the St. Regis Hotel. Hello there, this is Connor. I'm interested in checking out the apartment show you listed online. You know, I already live below 14th Street, so it's not a problem for me to get there at all. It could be great to see it this afternoon. Now would be good. My friend Brian Sloan's film, WTC View, was released in 2005, based on his 2003 play of the same name. Both the play and subsequent film starred an unknown actor named Michael Urey, fresh out of Juilliard. Of course, that was before Ugly Betty, and today, Michael Urey is anything but unknown. Although I did cover WTC View when it hit theaters in 2005, for the first time, it's now available via Video On Demand, which gives me a great excuse to chat again with Michael Urey. Hi, Steve. Hello, Michael. What's the film about? Eric puts an ad in the Village Voice on 910. He lives in a two-bedroom apartment, and he needs a roommate. He's trying to rent out the room that has a view of the World Trade Center on 910. And then on 9-11, the world changes. And then by the time everybody sort of gets back to normal, he's left his apartment for a while just because he can't really handle it. When he gets home, there are messages on his machine. Life's going on. People need apartments, and he's got prospects. So he starts scheduling out these meetings for a potential roommate. And as was very normal in the weeks following 9-11, these interactions with strangers become very deep, very emotional, and they learn from each other, they comfort each other, and they protect each other. And I was here after 9-11, and those weeks, and, you know, I've been in New York since 1999, and the weeks following 9-11 were obviously completely different than any other time here. Um, Strangers don't really talk to each other in New York, you know, unless you have to. I don't think of New Yorkers as rude, but they're certainly not outgoing, and they certainly won't engage unless they need to. And that was not the case in New York following 9-11. People spoke to each other. People felt the same things. People cared about each other. And we were all thinking the same things. We were all going through the same emotions. And we were there for each other. And the play is a beautiful microcosm of that. WTC View was both your professional theater and your film debut. Right out of school, what was that like? It was, uh, it was amazing. I mean, you know, I had just got out of school. This was the first play I did after school. And I was the lead. And it was a fabulous part. And the play was extremely well received. People really, really liked it. And then within nine months, Brian's figured out how to make it into a movie, and he wants me to stay with it. And in fact, all the actors to stay with it, which is so rare. And I think it is a story that works for different reasons quite beautifully on stage and on film. It's also a play that has stayed 
with me. I mean, of course, I've never forgotten about 9-11, especially being in New York. I'm reminded of my experience and everyone's experience almost daily. But the plays really stayed with me in a wonderful way. And now, looking back on the film, I'm the right age to play the part. And I look at things that Eric goes through that at the time when I played the part, I didn't really understand. I mean, thanks to Brian and Andrew Volkoff, who directed the play, I was able to figure out a way to execute them, but I didn't really get it. I'm a 34-year-old guy now, and I understand Eric's rage. I understand his fear in a way that I really didn't then. I mean, I was 23. I didn't have fear. I wasn't angry about anything yet. I didn't know enough about the world or myself to really know how fragile we are. Even though I was here and watched 9-11 happen right in front of me, it didn't really hit me in the same way that it did for Eric. And now I know quite well. So maybe we should do a sequel. Why is this film still relevant today? Because it's a piece of shared history that we all have, whether we were around or not. 9-11 will forever be remembered. It will not go away. So the relevance of this play, I think, will never go away. But on the other hand, terrorism has not gone away, especially in recent months and years. There have been new and more horrible, barbaric attacks, and we still are afraid, and we still are angry. And so while there has been nothing like 9-11 since 9-11, there's still a lot of hate and fear. And I think people still can relate to why Eric goes to the places he goes in this play and in the movie can still absolutely resonate. So uh, you don't have an apartment right now? Oh, my uh, place was down in Battery Park City. Oh. I shouldn't say was. It's still there. They just won't let us in yet. He said all the units are covered in dust. Layer of toxic crap on everything. Were you there when it happened? No, thank God. I would have freaked out. I mean, not that I didn't freak out, but I mean, you know, it's two blocks away. So you'd already left for work? Nah, I was in Jersey City uh, Monday night to meet this chick for a date. Oh. Um, are you gay? Uh, yeah, but... I, the ad didn't come out and say it. I could read between the lines. Clean, quiet, responsible, seeks male, gay. <laughs> well, uh, gay is charged. <laughs> because you were known for playing gay characters, both in WTC View and in Ugly Betty, was there a lot of pressure to come out? Not a lot. I mean, there was pressure for me to stay in. I definitely, you know, was told that I shouldn't play gay characters and shouldn't be an out actor for a time. I don't think anybody who said that, that well, that's not true, but I think times did change. And, and I don't think there would be the opportunities I have now, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, for, you know, an out actor to play out characters so much and to not be typecast as gay character. I don't think gay character is something that one gets typecast as anymore because there are so many different kinds of gay characters in material. I think you can still get typecast as other stuff, clown or leading man or ingenue. I think that's still something that all actors have to deal with. Some actors have very, very lucky typecasting situations, and some actors, you know, have a very, very limited. I've been very lucky. I don't feel typecast. I'll just say that. I've had the opportunity to play so many different kinds of roles, lots of them gay, and some straight, some ambivalent, uh, some non-romantic, but a wide variety. 
So, you know, when I first started and before I came out, when I was first on the scene and talking to press, occasionally people would try to get it out of me, try to pressure me before I was ready to say anything about it. But nobody was ever rude to me or anything like that. And, and then once, once I did come out, it was sort of like, oh, yeah, right. You know, nobody was surprised or anything like that. If anything, it helped me, honestly. WTC View is now available for rental or purchase on iTunes. It was written and directed by Brian Sloan, and Michael Yuri is just fantastic in this film. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for taking the time on a Saturday, Steve. Well, thank you, Michael. All right, take care. Hey, it's me. Leave a message. Hello. I'm ringing about the advert in this week's Village Voice. I know it's a dreadful time, but if you could give me a ring, I'd be quite grateful. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Steve. It's a great movie. And in fact, I'm going to post on our Facebook page my original interview with the director from back in 2005. So that'll be up there tomorrow as well. I think it's I think it's really interesting that we're getting enough time and distance now that we're actually getting kind of a, a genre. But it's those individual little stories, even if it's fiction, that... This actually wasn't fiction. Oh, Brian Sloan, the director, who's also a novelist, had posted a roommate ad on September 10th saying that he needed a roommate, and the room had a WTC view, and that's the inspiration of this movie and play. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I avoid this stuff from 9-11 and pre-9. I just, I just can't handle it yet. That's just me. We need to lighten the load in this. <laughs> I guess so. We do so, need to yeah. lighten the load because it okay. just depresses the heck out of me. All right. Well, let's move on to gay Mardi Gras in Sydney. So those looking for a spectacle at the 2015 Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade on March 7th were not disappointed. The 37th edition of the celebration with the theme this year of passion with everything from traditional dikes on bikes to more than 150 festively decorated floats, numerous marching units, and, of course, what festival is complete without a Kim Jong-un impersonator atop a golden tank. We have. I don't sat- know if he was an impersonator. Are we sure? Well, so I thought I saw Kim Jong-il. I know he's supposed to be dead, but I saw him walking down my street with his dog the other day. Oh, okay. I swear it was him. You guys get around. And speaking of getting around, we want to thank the folks in Australia's all LGBTIQ all the time. Joy 94.9, Sydney's Tucer Community Radio, SBS Radio, and the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. They have given us awesome clips from the original four-hour live broadcast. Sydney, Australia. The home of the Opera House and that beautiful bridge. It's the city on the harbour. The financial hub of a nation. Nestled between the golden sands of Bondi Beach in the east. And those mysterious blue mountains in the west. Renowned for its King's Cross nightlife. Those beautiful babes. And how could we forget its manly fairies? What about all of those men? Welcome to Sydney's Queer Night of Nights. Welcome to the 37th Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade. And a very happy Mardi Gras to you. My name is Dean Beck from your host broadcaster, Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joining me is the very gorgeous Harry Lloyd. This is my first ever Sydney Mardi Gras and I just can't believe the amount of people that have turned out. The colour is just fantastic. I am very excited for tonight, Dean. Now, tonight's parade takes place on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people. And they are of the Eora Nation. As traditional custodians, they have cared for this land for thousands of years. And we say thank you to them and to their elders, both past and present, for caring for this place. 
Hi, my name's Gavin Ivey, and I'm originally from the Minyanbul people of the Bundjalung Nation, which is up around the far north coast of New South Wales. For us, it's the 50th anniversary of the Freedom Rides, which took place back in 1965. And in recognition and acknowledgement and respect of that, we've hired an open-top double-decker bus. So our official theme is Freedom 2015 and that's coincides with the 50th anniversary of the Freedom Rides and also it's an expression of each participant's um, personal freedom. Harry, we are not doing this alone. No. We are joined now by Sophie Lai. She's from 2SER here in Sydney. Sophie, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, James Finlay from Joy 94.9. He joins us. James, welcome. Hello, thank you very much. Now, Sophie, you see thousands of people before your very eyes. Describe what you're viewing right this very moment. Basically, it's like Moses has parted away because there is a crowd on each side, which is the sea, and it's just straight down the bullet. We're just waiting for the parade to come through. Earlier today, our executive producer, Emily Dwyer, spoke to the creative genius behind uh, the Mardi Gras parade. The overall theme is about homophobia. And the best way to change a person's mind is to make them laugh and cry, to make them have empathy with you. And that's what we're trying to do, is basically to show the rest of the world that we are daughters, mothers, fathers, brothers. We just like it. We just happen to be gay lesbian. And within that anti-homophobia message, there is a real focus on sport. Sport is one of the last bastions of homophobia. And really what is amazing is that the big codes, AFL, the, the rugby union, the rugby league, the soccer, the cricket, all of them have said, we are totally with you in trying to banish homophobia from sport. We've got this really powerful opening. That was our executive producer, Emily Dwight, speaking with Ignatius Jones. He's the creative consultant for the 2015 Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade. Now, Harry, we got a bit of revving and a bit of humming going on. I have never seen anything like this. Look, there is, oh, look at that revving. <laughs> these, are, these are my ladies. These are my dykes on my bike. So what we're seeing is the dykes on bikes going the wrong way down the parade route. They're coming from the Flinders Street Inn yep. around down Oxford Street. Yes. They will then lead back towards us. So they're going to do a bit of a round trip and they'll start off the parade that way. In 1978, Sydney was a very different place than it is today. Homosexuality uh, was a crime, and people were, who were found out to be gay lost their jobs, houses, family, and friends because of it. On the 24th of June in 1978, members of Sydney's gay and lesbian community gathered right here at Taylor Square on Oxford Street in Darlinghurst. Now, having been inspired by Stonewall in New York, the Sydney Stylers wanted to challenge the oppression and discrimination that was being experienced by lesbians and gays locally. People came out of the pubs and the nightclubs and the numbers grew to more than 2,000 people. Now, this took the police a little bit by surprise, who uh, had given them permission to be on the streets, but they revoked their rights to protest. And uh, what had been a peaceful demonstration quickly erupted into a violent fracas. Some police and many protesters were injured and some 53 arrests took place on that night. It marked a turning point in the struggle for gay and lesbian rights here in this country. 
coming towards us is a sea of lights. They're the dikes on bikes, but they're lights are all represented of the rainbow colours. So at the front we've got red, in the middle we've got amber, green uh, green towards the middle, and then coming up just at the back, I can see now, is blue. It's, it's it an is spectacular. It is a, a sparkling uh, a light show, isn't it? And the crowd is absolutely loving every single second of waving <laughs> at them and them driving past. Here they come. Uh, now, the crowd has been 10 deep even more uh, as we look down much more, across much more. It. It's 30 deep. But uh, they have been here since uh, early today. They're lining up from about midday to get the best vantage point. And Taylor Square is the place to be. Absolutely. They've, uh, they've brought their crates on buses, trains, planes, any way they could get their crates to try and see the event. The 2015 Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. This is how Coming to you perched high above Taylor Square. My name is Harry Lloyd. I am joined by John and Dean Beck. I think this might be the trans flag and uh, there's a big group of them here. They are the My Body, My Gender. It's the International Trans Friends Group and their friends marching to promote for transgender rights and the rights to have surgery or not. This is a big families float that's going past. We see a lot of kids, a lot of uh, mums and dads, and and uh, oh, and we've got Helen down there, who's with uh, with Jack. Yes, James. I have Helen down here with who I assume is her partner. Hel Jude. 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 Lovely to meet you, Helen and Jude. And you've got a lovely little man on your back here supporting you. How important is it to have floats like this in the Mardi Gras parade celebrating rainbow families? Oh, for me, it's just it, it's. You just can't describe it. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Just to have the family there, we're just one. And Jude? I've been doing Mardi Gras for, uh, I guess, 10, 15 years now. And it, it means more for me now with kids. But the feeling is great, just being in it and being part of it. it just, you actually feel like a celebrity for the day. Yeah, and absolutely amazing. Something to aspire to. Helen and Jude have a fantastic Mardi Gras. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Happy Mardi Gras. The military coming up. This is uh, always a much-loved segment of the parade, recognising our armed forces. Bit of a fan of men in uniform, are we, Dean? Oh, I've got to say yes. Mm -hmm. Now, who's first, John? Well, it's the Australian Defence Force. I love this. Um, it's, let's use this acronym, DEFGLIS. Can we do that? Yeah. Uh, that's the Defence Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Intersex Information Services DEFGLIS. Now, they're uh, being led by the piped band contingent of the armed forces, followed by the Navy, resplendent in white. Now, that, that's their uh, parade uniform. Uh, they are, of course, followed by the, uh, the Army. They from. <laughs> and then the Air Force. Now, uh, hats off to, or well, hats on in this case during the parade, but mm. um, otherwise, hats off to our armed forces who uh, right around the world are continuing to uh, protect our freedom. And Harry, what are we seeing take place before our eyes? I believe, Dean, we are seeing the finale. The zombies are on the floor. They have just done their big dance number along with the camouflage gang and the bear bums. So the last four groups that were coming down the parade route yep. have stopped at Taylor's Square and they've all taken a formation around the square as the zombies have then taken over. Yep, and Kim Jong-un is on a tank with a penis. It is a gold tank. Gold tank with Kim oh! that is now shooting um, uh, glitter smoke, smoke. Glitter smoke. smoke out of its um, uh, uh, 
End. End. Yes. End. You know, um, um, gun turret is the word I'm looking You're for. You're going to describe it. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it is a golden tank. It, it is. is amazing. I don't know how you get one of those when you need one, but they've got one. This is the People's Republic of Mardi Gras. And uh, they've been joined by the Zombie Cafe. It's the end of the world for homophobia. And uh, Queer Eyes for Hairstyles. Now, I'm not sure how they fit it in, but they're there. Now, the People's Republic of Mardi Gras are battling homophobia, which has been the overarching sort of sub-theme to our passion theme for Mardi Gras. The finale is part of the end of the the parade. Have a look at the drag queens sweeping the rainbow rainbow crossing. (laughs) There's, There's four of them all dressed up in their finest dress. Is sweeping, trying to sweep the glitter off trying the rainbow the crossing. Well, they're all heading off to the Mardi Gras party. The parade has concluded. I want to just say to our street team, congratulations, because you guys rocked tonight, thanks to the support, the talents, the resources of Sydney's 2SER, a proud partner in real radio, in community radio, with Australia's only gay and lesbian radio station, Melbourne's Joy 94.9. We thank the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, who helped us bring the colour of the 2015 Mardi Gras parade to your local community radio station, to Martin and to Danny, thank you very much. Emily Dwyer is our executive producer. Round of applause for Emily. This is the 2015 37th Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade. My name is Dean Beck. Happy Mardi Gras, everyone. Happy Mardi Gras! Again, our thanks to everyone at Joy 94.9, Australia's LGBTIQ community radio station for that wonderful coverage. That was very cool. I wonder if Korea, North Korea got upset about the Kim and <laughs> He has been missing. Yes. Well. He's in Sydney. Uh, you know, uh, police estimated the crowd was uh, more than 200,000 and the event's largest turnout in years, and there were only 30 arrests because it's in Australia, so it was about drinking. <laughs> well, considering <laughs> the first one, they arrested everyone, so. Right, so, you know, it, they're doing, the numbers are looking good. And numbers are looking good. I'm hoping that we next year have the IMRU show from Sydney, right? So I'm, I'm ready, I'm packing now. So all right. send your pledges in now. You can to send, send in money us to all Sydney. year. <laughs> and you can hear all four hours of their gay Mardi Gras coverage at joy.org.au. So to come, Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman talks gay marriage in Selma, Alabama. And I took to the red carpet to cover the Family Equality Council's awards dinner. It's so fabulous here, but don't go away. We'll be right back. Simply Divine, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Born with the name Harris Glenn Milstead in 1945, he would later be known as Divine. That name came from aspiring filmmaker John Waters, who borrowed the name from a character in the novel Our Lady of the Flowers, a controversial book about homosexuals. That name stuck. Divine later said, That's what everybody calls me now, even my close friends. Not many of them call me Glenn at all anymore, which I don't mind. Did you ever look it up in the dictionary? I won't even go into it. It's unbelievable. Many remember Divine's role in Pink Flamingos, which Waters describes as an exercise in poor taste. Most don't know about her first film, Roman Candles. In this film, Divine is in drag playing the part of a smoking nun. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Roby Martin.
Hello, I'm Randall Kleiser, director of Grease, Blue Lagoon, White Fang, and It's My Party, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Prime. I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. And I'm Abby Dees. Civil rights activists who were beaten on Selma, Alabama's Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965 did not imagine that 50 years later, the first African-American U.S. president would commemorate their March for Voting Rights, or that a half a century would bring Alabama to another bridge of equality. At that historic meeting place, Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman met an African-American lesbian couple who were one of the first in the state to marry. My name is Tori Wolf-Sisson, and we're outside of Brown Chapel in Selma, Alabama. And I'm Shante Wolf-Sisson, and we're here for Selma Weekend. Shante and Tori, we're here on the 50th anniversary of the observance of Bloody Sunday. People are talking about voting rights, the right to be heard. This also happens to come a few days after the Alabama Supreme Court has put a halt to marriage equality in Alabama. You were the first same-sex couple to get married in Montgomery. Your response to this and how it relates to this weekend. It's really hard to tie it together. They're kind of parallel, but not really perpendicular issues. And considering the fact that now no other couples can be married, this makes it bittersweet. We're not really able to enjoy the fact that we're married because, one, all of our rights were just stripped, and two, there's so many people who would like to be wed, and that opportunity is no longer there. Can you talk about marriage equality as an issue of civil rights, civil rights, which is so much the buzzword this weekend? Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of the people that want to strip our rights don't really understand what they are. When people talk about marriage equality and same-sex marriages, they think about the sexual nature of it, but they don't really understand what those rights are and what rights we don't have and what rights we're fighting for. So in the state of Alabama, there's no accommodations, protections. People can be fired for being same-gender loving individuals. I'm missing something, I'm sure, but there's so many things that we don't have. And so marriage equality, that means that if if one of us goes to the hospital, I would be able to check on her without any issue um, if we wanted to adopt. There's laws on the books that you have to be married to have second parent adoptions, and that's part of like the, the original deal. So there's a lot of protections that were not afforded, and people don't understand that when they're trying to deny them. And looking at it from a civil rights aspect, if you're about liberation, you have to be about liberation for all people. That's the closest that everyone should be able to tie the two together, because often more so than not these days, people are trying to romanticize, you know, oh, marriage equality is the new civil rights. It is a civil rights issue, but it's, you shouldn't like try to replace something that has already happened in history. Is there any message you'd like to leave with the Alabama State Supreme Court Chief Justice Roy Moore, who told judges not to issue same-sex marriages when it was legal and now, well, has put a halt to same-sex marriage in Alabama? Let's be clear. For someone with privilege, it makes absolutely no sense to deny anyone else those privileges that you're afforded. Will you be walking over the bridge today? Yes. Yes.
That was Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman speaking with Tori and Shante Wolf-Sisson in Selma, Alabama. Well, going from Selma to beautiful Beverly Hills, California. It's all about walking. It's all about walking, and it's walking the red carpet, and I watched the stars walk the red carpet for the Family Equality Council's awards dinner here in the, the here at the Beverly Hilton. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood reporting from the Family Equality Council Awards Dinner here at the Beverly Hilton in beautiful Beverly Hills. Tonight, a night for the stars. On the red carpet coming down this way is Ty Herndon, country singer. Ty Herndon, here you are. Thank you. You can touch it. Go ahead. It's great. <laughs> I did point two tonight. I just interviewed Billy Gilman last week. When are you two going to get together and do some some, some country music for it? We, well, we have a, a big event coming uh, June the 12th in Nashville for Music Fest Week. Uh, it's, a, it's a concert for love and equality, and uh, myself and Billy will be on that, and a few very big surprise guests. We're announcing that next week, so... I didn't mean to jump the gun. I'm no, so sorry. Okay, I, you know, I'm I'm still talking about it. I just I can't I can't say who's on the show yet, but it's going to be uh, as we're calling it the concert for love and equality in Nashville during Music Fest week, which is the biggest music time on the planet. So, have you played any prides yet? I'm playing ten prides this year, playing ten prides and um, doing about so far eight HRC speaking engagements and uh, I, you know, I got the gift of gab and I can only talk about my life I'm a writer so let me talk about that I have to say at every pride the country dancing tent is the happiest busiest tent at any pride why is that because we're happy people you know, country folks know how to party a little bit out there and, and uh, I don't know I just find anytime we uh, have a what I call a barn dance people are just dancing and laughing and singing and having fun so young country fans out there who are maybe Afraid to come out yet? Not sure what to do? What can you tell them? I just wrote a song about that on my new album. Oh, excuse me. I just recorded a song that was written by the awesome Annie Bosco, who is showcasing tonight at a Troubadour. And I'm, I'm going on stage with her uh, about 9.30 tonight awesome. at the amazing Troubadour. But um, I recorded a song she wrote called Fighter. And I, it's all for the kids out there. Just I know for myself, you know, I was so full of fear. And I'm, I'm 52 years old, and you know, my heart is so wide open right now so I'd like to see some of these kids get that at 10 years old instead of instead of 52 years old so I'm just I'm 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 singing about it that's what I do best bless your heart thank you so much Absolutely. thank you coming up next uh, the mayor of Houston Anise Parker the first out mayor of a large city in the United States of America mayor Parker Hi, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood from KPFK IMRU. I actually lived in Texas. I worked in Fort Worth in Haltom City for the Q Television Network. When you were, you, I don't think you were mayor yet in 2004, is that correct? When were you no, elected? I was city controller. Yes, sir. I have been in public office in Houston now for 17 years. What's the deal with Texas? You have a lesbian mayor, you have a lesbian, I believe Tarrant County Sheriff is, is gay? No, there's been two lesbian sheriffs in Texas. Travis County, Margot Frazier, and then Dallas County, Lupe Valdez. So we've, we like women with guns in Texas. But the big cities in Texas are Democratic Islands in the big Republican Sea or, or Blue Islands in the Red Sea. But there's something about Texas where we value people who will speak up for themselves. We value independence. We have some tolerance for kind of a maverick streak, and I have benefited from that. How long are you going to stay in Texas, or are we going to see you on the national stage taking control of something out there? 
Well, I am term limited out of office at the end of this year. I think there's another race in my future, but I don't know what it is yet. I'm too young to retire. You're not going to say governor? I'd love to be governor of my home state, uh, and certainly a statewide race is possible, but there are other things that I have to contemplate. Kids out there, gay kids, kids who are in the closet, kids are quiet and so forth, what can you tell them when they're thinking, I really like to work for my community or maybe even run for public office, but I'm afraid? I've been out for 40 years. Actually, I've been out for longer than that, but I've been an activist for 40 years. And I started in the 70s when I was in college. Every race I won, and I've won nine consecutive races in Houston, I was out, I was proud, people knew who they were voting for. Don't let your dreams be limited. One more question. Are you glad the Texans did not draft Johnny Menzel? I'm very glad the Texans did not draft Johnny Menzel. Although Jadavian Clowney, who we did draft, didn't play for us much. I think he had four games. Is that a lesbian stereotype? We all we know sports. I of course know sports. I know sports. You think you know sports? I wrote for Arles on HBO, so I know sports. I'm a I'm a huge baseball fan, and I'm a Rice University grad, and so Rice has one of the best college baseball teams in the country every year, and so you, you well, so, find me in the stands. Well, so UCLA has a darn good baseball team as well, and I go to those games periodically. So we'll see you at the World Series in Omaha. I hope so. Hi. Hi. I'm Chrisanne Eastwood. I'm with the IMRU show at KPFK. And you are. <laughs> you are. I'm America's Gaijin sweetheart, former Miss Universe, Alec Mappa. Oh my God. You know, I saw the year that you won. What a travesty. And this is my husband, Jameson A. Bear. Hello, Jameson A. Bear. You don't look like a bear. <laughs> He's a very skinny bear. Working on it. Working on yeah, it. You need a sample. You need a sandwich. Family Equality Council. I'm Facebook friends with you, Alec. You put your son. He is the most beautiful, wonderful. You guys have the most beautiful family. Thank you. Well, he's the reason we're here tonight is because our families matter. And, you know, as much progress as we're making, there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, every other day there's a new religious freedom bill that pops up. And those pose a real danger to families like ours. And so that's why the work here of the Family Equality Council is so important. I mean, family values is the first thing that our opponents scream. Right. And now they're looking crazy. Like the more they discriminate, the crazier they look. Especially when we have our kids with us, when we're taking our kids to school. I think they're going away, but because they're going away, they're getting louder and crazier. You're on a new show, Devious Maids. Are you a maid? I'm not a maid, you would think, but I'm a nurse. I'm finally playing a nurse. A nursemaid? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if I were? Did you wear a little nurse's cap? And um, I wish I did. I wish I was like a, a, a naughty dominatrix nurse, but I'm a regular nurse. And I'm doing three episodes this season. You have an arc. I have an arc. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't spoil, you can't tell us, but I mean, the show is called Devious Maids, but you're a nurse. So there's some hijinks afoot. Something, something's happening to someone. I think there's some interaction between between me and one or two devious maids. I think that's all I can say without being fired. I have two words to say, you enemas. <laughs> Hashtag spoiler alert. Sorry, sorry. Have lots of fun tonight. Next on the red carpet is Dan Bukatinsky, whom we loved on Scandal in HBO's The Comeback. Dan, I'm the very impressive Chris Ann Eastwood from uh, KPFK. I am. Are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You are. Okay. That is a fabulous. You know, I'm sorry. This is radio. They okay. they can't see this. You can describe it. It's very. It's. I'm probably strobing in front of all of the cameras. It's 
a snowy silver polka dotted tux. But on radio, you pop. You're you're, you're completely perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Family Equality Council. Yes. You are a family man. I am. I am. I'm a I'm a married man with my husband now for 22 years, and we have two kids, one 10, one seven, and. Um, we uh, love it. It's changed me, and, and it's made me want to fight that much harder for legislature around this country that allows same-sex couples, single parents, you name it, to be able to adopt, to be able to take... There are so many kids in foster right now that if every parent or every couple that wanted kids were allowed to legally adopt, we would have no more kids in foster. So it's one of the reasons we need to sort, for the kids' sake, Every child deserves to have parents who love them. And there's so many parents out there who want that. So any stumbling block to family equality is something that I'm willing to fight hard against. That was beautiful what you just said. And you work so hard in the industry. So are you, do you have any kind of family projects on the burner? I know you're very busy with Lisa, your partner. Family projects, uh, well, no. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an actor on Marry Me, so I play a married husband of, and a father of Casey Wilson. Um, Lisa Kudrow and I are about to launch another season of Who Do You Think You Are, which is a family history journey. So family is, uh, is the theme right now. We premiere on March 8th. On family is so your theme. Now, have you, have you been on Who Do You Think You Are yet? I haven't done it myself, no, but we're about to finish our fifth season with an unbelievable group of people. How hard is it to find out all these things about these people? It's hard. It takes months and months of research, and we're really looking for a narrative that's going to hook an audience. That's really what it's about. And this, this season, we've got Julie Chen and America Ferreira and Sean Hayes. We are going places we've never been before, and it's very exciting. Now, do you look for the people first, or do you just, are you just do research on random people and no, say, no, oh, no. this is good? No, no, no. We, 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 we get interest from people, and then we research them, and it's... it's uh, it, 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 it's not a chicken and egg. No one has brought the kids tonight because no. it's Saturday night and it's too My late. kids are watching Despicable Me or something right now. Where's your husband? He's over there somewhere. I hope he's getting you a drink. Yeah, I hope he is too. In case you just joined us, this is Chris Ann Eastwood reporting from the Family Equality Council Awards Dinner in Beverly Hills. Hi, I'm Alex Newell. And you are on the Glee Show. I was on the Glee Show. <laughs> and it's all over. It's all over. It's so sad. But it was time to close that chapter and move on in the sense. What kind of experience was it for you? An absolute amazing experience. Who gets to say they get to sing, dance, and act every day for the last four years? I graduated high school and I ended up on a highly wide distributed television show and that's an absolutely amazing experience. What makes Glee such an empowering show for the LGBTQ community? Because we tell the truth and we tell the truth through education through comedy. I feel that Glee does everything though it's through a laugh or through a joke but it teaches people that things like this actually happen in our society and things like this actually go on. Sorry, I got just distracted by somebody. So tell me, um, you know, you watched the Oscars this week, and, and there was a really great speech by the guy who won the um, screenplay award, and he said, you know, for all the kids out there, stay weird and stay different. Do you think you were one of those kids at one time? Absolutely. I mean, I'm a boy that can sing anything that a girl can sing, so I've always been different, and it's very funny that I would play a role that's name is unique, because I've always, I'm always the different one and I've never really realized that until I 
got to where I am today of and being comfortable with it at the same time. So what do you say to those different ones that are out there listening? I say keep doing you. Why try to be someone else when they're already different just like you? Hey Lance Bass, are you still going in space? Well, hopefully one day I will. I'm a certified cosmonaut and uh, yeah, I have a feeling I'll be up in space one day, yes. And what are you going to take up to space that's going to represent all of us? That's a good idea. You know, they're very picky with what you can bring up. You have to basically sneak things into space. I mean, even a paperclip, you know, is like too heavy for a lot of things. So uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. What's the gayest thing that you could take to space? Well, of course, maybe a rainbow flag, but I think that's a little too on the nose, right? So maybe something that represented, you know, Matthew Shepard or something. I don't know. Something that just fake. I don't know. That's a good question, though, because you know I'm going to have to put something in my pocket. I'm thinking like a time cap so we could fill it with all of our great gay stuff and we could just shoot it out there. There you go. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Put it all in a little flash drive and just get it out there. (laughs) I am so excited for you because I love space, too, and I'm waiting for a fat person to go to space. Uh, Well, with with Branson's, uh, you know, new Virgin Galactic, I mean, I think it's going to be great that people are going to be able to experience some kind of space. I could work weightless. It's really good. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be an experience for me. I'm here with the lovely Ann Walker, and you are a radio star now, is that true? I am. I have a radio talk show called The Ann Walker Show. I do LGBT topics and politics, and we've all got something to say about politics. Family Equality Council, tell me about this organization, what it means to you. I feel like that every child, whether you're born into this couple or with this couple or you adopt, They need that. There's like 100,000 kids who need adopting in the United States. And the LGBT community are just as loving and just as worthy to get a child if they want one. And it really does make a difference. Thank you 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 so much. And finally, the executive director of the Family Equality Council. Gabriel Blau, nice to meet you. You have an incredible turnout here tonight. How is that for you? It's really heartwarming to see how many people believe in the work we're doing, how many people want to change this into a country that doesn't just talk about family values, but values families. And every year this event gets bigger and bigger. Stars and producers and parents come out because they realize that we have power now. We can make a difference and we can make this a better country for our children. Besides the lobbying and the PR that you do supporting and promoting family values for the LGBTQ, what are some of the services that a, uh, a LGBT family member can come and that you can provide? The last year at this very event, we announced an LGBTQ low-income family legal clinic project. And tonight I'm going to be announcing that that project is off to a raging success. We launched in Mississippi and we're bringing it to Alabama and Louisiana. That's key in states where our families are both poorer and have very few legal protections. We also do a tremendous amount of community engagement work and education work. Families and people who want to have families need to be educated as to what their rights are, what they can access, and how they're going to create those families. One of the exciting announcements we're going to be making tonight is about a new app that you can go and download for your iPhone or your Android. Americans fill out thousands of forms every day and probably millions around the country, whether it's at their doctor's office, at their child's dance class, or at the Social Security Administration. Our app will allow them, when they encounter a form that renders their family invisible and therefore it cannot access vital services, will allow them to take a photo of that form, submit it, and our staff will work with them to get it changed. What are still the biggest obstacles for LGBTQ families out there? 
Well, let's remember that we still have not won marriage, and so we're still working hard on that. In just a few days, we're going to be submitting our 14th and hopefully final amicus brief. The Voices of Children brief has been cited by judges since Justice Kennedy talked about it in the Prop 8 and DOMA hearings. But beyond marriage, we still have to ensure that every parent can adopt their own children. That foster care doesn't discriminate against loving, qualified LGBTQ adults who want to take care of the 400,000 children who tonight are going to be sleeping in temporary homes. We have to ensure that that parent-child relationship is protected above all else and that children are always put first. We're a long ways away from that. Families can be denied housing, can be denied service in a restaurant even. They can be fired. We can't allow our children to grow up with that kind of instability. Thank you so much. Reporting from the Family Equality Council Awards Dinner in Beverly Hills, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. Well, there you go. It was my red carpet ride there. All the stars. Lots of stars. And, and I couldn't get everybody. Sandra Bernhardt breezed by when I was with Dan Bukatinsky. And you hate to look over somebody's shoulder when you're talking to somebody else. And it's hard. I mean, it can be real. It's a, quite a dance when you have somebody and you want to get somebody else. I did another red carpet this weekend, which you're, we're going to hear Where's in the future. I did the HRC Awards dinner. Oh and I got some amazing folks. I'm going to tell you two words to our fans out there. General Hospital. Hmm. If you have watched General Hospital and the Big Gay Storyline, you're going to be excited about that. And then this weekend, I'm going to the Glad Awards dinner and at the Beverly Hilton again. So it's it's, it's award season, people. Our celebrity you actually leave the house. I just watch TV. <laughs> well, so, that's okay. Except when I'm going to fabulous functions, like I went to Abby's house for the. That was a fabulous function. National, Smaller, fewer what was celebrities. A National Center for Lesbian Rights big fundraiser this weekend at my casa. And it was wonderful. Kate Kendall got to meet her, and you've done a wonderful interview with her that we'll be hearing soon. And we're going to be hearing Mm-hmm. Well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take Tim Pelicos by the hand, and exit to the far left of the tram's forward motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, our social media master, Miss Barbecue, coordinating producer Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. And be sure to follow us and like us on Facebook, IMRU Radio, and our link to the latest show is posted by noon every Tuesday. Okay, this is very exciting. My friend, Vaile Mateus, was on IMRU just a couple years ago when he workshopped a concert version of his Disney parody show Disenchanted at the El Portal Theater right here in North Hollywood. Disenchanted. Disenchanted. Well, you know what's exciting? The fully staged musical of Disenchanted opens for its second off-Broadway run in New York this Thursday. And since Mulan was the Disney princess who was not like the others, what better song to close with than Without the Guy from Disenchanted. Good night, everybody. Lesbian. I might be lesbian. I cut my bangs like Katie Lang's Now I'm a flannel shirt shy of being lesbian Lesbian And I'd be telling a lie If I hadn't thought that maybe that's why I'm the only princess here Without a guy History and fairy tales would have you there's only one way for a princess to get by. Be super cute, eat poison fruit, fall comatose. Till some man on a white horse happens to have.
I just might be lesbian And what's wrong with lesbian? I can rule kingdom 